start with the Lord's Prayer because it's important. Because to me, these scriptures are, are almost a reference back. Jesus says to his disciples, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. They Actually, if you read the Luke rendition of this same thing, it starts with Lord, maybe, I forget what they called him. Lord, John, talking about John the Baptist, taught his disciples how to pray, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, okay, pray like this. And he, and he goes through much of what we find here in Matthew. Well, in this rendition, where he gives them all these, these concepts for prayer, you know, your daily bread, that, that God is your provider, you ask for today. Just like the manna came daily. You couldn't, you couldn't hoard the manna, save it for two days, unless it, the next day was the Sabbath, because it would get all nasty and rotty and maggot-filled and stuff. He's teaching all these concepts, but there's only one that he reinforces immediately. And that's verses 14 and 15. Well, let me go back. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So even as he teaches them to pray, he's teaching them to understand that you're asking the Father to forgive your debt, your sin debt, your transgressions, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. It's almost a conditional thing. He finishes the rest of that teaching power and glory forever, amen. And then he says, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. The only part he reinforces is about forgiveness and unforgiveness. If you forgive, you'll be forgiven. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those that owe us. I'm going to tell you two stories, and, I'm a, and you know both of the stories if you've been here. I just matter of fact, I think on the mercy uh, beatitude, I, I shared one of these stories. I tried to decide which one, but they're both too good, so I'm going to share them both with you. They're awesome stories that speak to forgiveness. I'll read you the first half of both stories. We'll talk a little bit about forgiveness, and then I'll read you the back half of both stories, okay? Okay. Breathing. On October 3rd, 2006, 10 girls were shot in an Amish school at Nickel Mines, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Charles Carl Roberts IV, age 32, a milk delivery person, entered an old order Amish one-room school at about 10 a.m. carrying a 9mm handgun, a 12-gauge shotgun, a rifle, a bag of black powder, two knives, tools, a stun gun, my gosh, 600 rounds of ammunition, lubricant, I won't read it the way it's written here, wire, plastic ties. Perhaps anticipating a long siege, he also brought a change of clothing. He ushered 15 boys, one pregnant woman, and three other women with infants from the school. He bound 11 students who remained, all girls aged 6 to 15, with plastic flex ties and prepared to shoot them. Before I read any more, I don't know if you ever had any experience with Amish people. And, and everybody, I think, when we get to heaven, we're going to find out that, you know, wow, Pat, you really got it in this area of 
kingdom of scripture. But over here, you miss it a little bit, you know. Amish guy, you guys, wow, you know. If you think the Amish people are messed up, you should sit down and talk with them about how they exercise their faith. Student Marion Fisher, age 13, stepped forward and asked that he shoot me first in an apparent effort to buy time for the remaining students. Her younger sister, Barbie, age 11, asked Roberts to shoot me second. He shot 10 girls. Three died immediately. Two others died in the hospital by the next morning. One of the dead was Marion Fisher, the girl that asked to be shot first. Roberts committed suicide when the police stormed the school. Second story is the story of this woman in South Africa. It reads, imagine the scene from a courtroom trial in South Africa. A frail black woman stands slowly to her feet. She is about 70 years of age. Facing her from across the room are several white police officers, one of whom, Mr. Vanderbrock, has, has just been tried and found implicated in the murders of both the woman's son and her husband some years before. It was indeed Mr. Vanderbrock, it has now been established, who had come to the woman's home a number of years back, taken her son, shot him at point-blank range, and then burned the young man's body on a fire while he and his officers partied nearby. Several years later, Vanderbrock and his security police colleagues had returned to take away her husband as well. For many months, she heard nothing of his whereabouts. Then, almost two years after her husband's disappearance, Vanderbrock came back to fetch the woman herself. How vividly she remembers that evening, going to a place beside a river where she was shown her husband, bound and beaten, but still strong in spirit, lying on a pile of wood. Her last memory of her husband was the officers pouring gasoline over his body and burning him alive. Jesus says, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your heavenly Father will not forgive your transgressions. You're the Amish mom or dad. Maybe the one that had the two daughters. Do you have two daughters worth of grace to forgive that guy that did that thing? Or maybe you're that woman in South Africa. Put yourself in her spot. Better to be there now than when later comes, right? Put yourself in her spot. Do you have mercy for the guy that murdered your son and burned his dead body? For the guy that beat your husband. Now, I didn't catch this in the story the last time I told it or any time I read it. He was taken two years before that. It's two years after he's been taken that she finds him beaten and alive. And the last thing she sees of her husband is that they pour gasoline on him and they light him on fire and they burn him alive. If you're that lady, do you forgive that guy? Does Jesus really mean what he says when he says that if you don't forgive, does he have any understanding of what it's like to have your husband beaten and burned alive, to have your son murdered and burned his dead body, to have your daughters by some creepy demonic guy that are bound up and shot and he brought all that stuff? Does he have any idea? Is it possible he could possibly really mean that if, if you don't forgive that guy, that your father that loves you, remember God loves you, right? I mean, he loves us. He has to understand, right? Does his love trump the word of Jesus that says if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven? Man, I'm telling you, 
I, I believe, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch it today. I haven't, I haven't come to total peace in my heart yet, but I really believe that when Jesus says, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven, it, it, it's truth. It just, it's just truth. And if you say, but wait a minute, it's by God's grace, and I don't have to do anything to be saved. All I have to do is believe in Jesus, and his grace covers me. His love covers me. We can't take our definition of God's love and paint it across everything else that he says that we don't want to have to do as disciples, as people that would call Jesus Lord. To forgive is to excuse, pardon, exonerate, or absolve the debt of transgression owed to one person by another. To forgive is not to continue to subject yourself to abuse or be compelled to agree with the behavior. So debt is the excellent way to look at forgiveness and unforgiveness. Somebody owes me $10. I always have the right to my $10. But I can choose to release that debt. Someone has done something wrong to me. They owe me a debt, right? The, the, the Old Testament law said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And then if someone takes out my eye, I have the right to take out their lie. Does the new covenant erase my right? Does it? It doesn't. It does not. Here's the difference. That'll teach you to answer my question, especially the trick questions. No, no, you're, you're, you are kind of right. But, but you always have the right to judgment. You do. You're a free will being. You have the right to judge. If someone takes your eye, you have the right to have their eye. But you don't have the right to sit in the mercy seat when you call out for judgment. Unless you're Jesus, right? Because Jesus never had to ask for anybody's mercy because he never committed any sin. But that's not true of any of us. So we have this choice. We can sit in the judgment seat and judge those people that have taken our eye. Or we can sit in the mercy seat and release that judgment and leave that to the Lord. But you can't sit in the mercy seat and have God's mercy and forgiveness while you pass out judgment from the judgment seat. You can't, you can't sow judgment and reap mercy. God will not be mocked. Four reasons. I mean, maybe there's a million reasons, I don't know. But four reasons that, that the Lord brought to me why we really need to consider forgiving. And honestly, any one of them is all we should need. But maybe for me, see, when the Bible says, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven, that's the way my, my whatever works. God says no, the answer is no. Does that mean I never stumble? No, it doesn't mean I never stumble. But, but if I stumble against what I know I'm not supposed to do, or if I'm deficient in where I know I'm supposed to be, I have a, a, a heavy conviction on my heart. I feel bad about it. So I don't need to feel God's love to forgive somebody because he told me to do it. And I called him Lord. And I understand that I don't have a life anymore. My life belongs to him. And then he's going to give me his life in eternity. And that's the best trade I'll ever make. But some people don't, don't operate. Their, their, their self doesn't work like my self does. And, and there's a lot of them because I talk to them. They're like, oh, you don't understand God's love. And I'm like, well, not as much as I'd like to understand God's love, but I don't need to understand God's love to understand his command and obedience. The first and very best reason to forgive is, is as the fruit of our own being forgiven. If, if we've been forgiven, and see, we don't really have a, a deep understanding of our sin debt, but if we had a deep understanding of our sin debt, 
It's worse than I saw my husband beat up, put on a pile of wood, and burned to death. It's worse than this crazy, demonically possessed guy came into a school and killed little girls with a gun. Our sin debt is worse than that. If we understood it, then just just out of honor and love for God, just out of recognition, out of the fruit of having been forgiven, we would forgive. I I don't know if these are the very, very best scriptures, but they're the ones that I got. James chapter 4 and verse 4. Now, James is speaking to the church, so it's not a direct parallel, but he says, you adulteresses, right? Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Romans 5 and verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, that's enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in the James scripture, he's talking to the church and he's saying, church, the adulteress is like, you're already betrothed to Jesus, but you're cheating on him out in the world. And if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy towards God. So before we got Jesus, we were all friends with the world. We weren't just stumbling, like James is talking to the people in his letter We were literally of the world. We were the world, and we were God's enemies. But he says that even then, God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us. So out of recognition that God did that for us, we should do that for others, right? Okay, number two. It's honestly in our best interest to forgive and to not hold bitterness and judgment against anybody. Matthew 18, uh, 23 through 35. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had. See, that's our situation pre-Jesus in our lives. We have this debt that's too enormous for us to pay. And in this story, Jesus is trying to make a parallel so we can understand this thing. The debt is so great that the guy was literally became the possession. His family literally became the possession of the person he owed, and then that person could sell them to be compensated for some portion of the debt into eternity for us. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. That's us crying out to to the Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Jesus, you can be the Lord of my life, because we know we can't pay the debt. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. It's like, He owes me a dime, and I owe $100 million to this other guy. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave. So now the original guy is back. His debt was forgiven. 
but he wouldn't forgive. Now he's back in front of the Lord. You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Now hear this. He was forgiven. He didn't forgive. He's not forgiven anymore. If you forgive those, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive those that owe you debt, he will not forgive you. This guy was forgiven, right? He wasn't going to collect from the other guy so that he could pay back the first guy because that debt was forgiven. He wasn't that good. His Lord said to him, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Now, you need to understand, this is Jesus speaking. Red letters in your Bible. What comes next? Jesus says, my heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. We get the opportunity to minister to a lot of people. We have for years. And I'm telling you, there are people that you would think there's just a black cloud over their head. No matter what they do, they cannot find peace in their life. Just thing after thing after thing after thing. And if you dig deep enough, what you find is there's bitterness in their heart towards a person. And they have literally been turned over to the tormentor. If you, if you get stirred by healing ministry at all, I mean, the, 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 the guys that we follow, like the Randy Clarks or the Bill Johnsons of the world, that really are like students of biblical healing, they find that there are roots, spiritual roots, to so many things. And in our experience, the one that we found, and, and them as well, the number one thing that will block, if I, I'm, my knee hurts, right? And we, you've prayed for it, and they've prayed for it, and they've prayed for it, that blocks healing is unforgiveness. You'll, you'll pray and pray and pray, and then sometimes the Lord will stir you, and you'll say, hey, listen, let me just ask you a question. When did this start? I, I, there's a guy I prayed for one time. I, you've heard the story. His shoulder, when he moved his shoulder, at first he said, no, I'm good. The, I, the Holy Spirit led me to him. He said, no, I'm good. I said, okay, I just feel like, man, I just really felt impressed to come over and, and see if you, know, you need a prayer for any kind of physical healing. He said, no, I'm good. And I said, okay, sorry to bother you. you know, I'm walking away. And he says, well, hang on a minute. I got this. And I mean, he moves his arm, and it sounded like someone stomped on a bag of Doritos, just all crunchy and nasty inside there. I said, oh, maybe that's it. I prayed a few times. Nothing happened. Then I got stirred to ask him about when did it happen. And he told me you know, about what age he was. I said, what went on in your life at that point? And he said, well, you know, that's when my dad left us. And what he told me was that he, his family had this awesome life, you know. They lived in a great neighborhood, had a nice house. They were able to do all kinds of things. And his dad found another woman. And he abandoned the family for this other woman. And when he did that, he left them in a place where they couldn't live where they lived before. So they had to sell their house or lost their house. They ended up in a different neighborhood. He didn't have his same friends. He wasn't able to do the things he was do, able to do before. And he got bitterness in his heart towards his dad. And, and that was around the time when his shoulder... So we start talking about unforgiveness. And, and he's like, well, I, you know, I, I think I've forgiven him. I said, all right, let's pray. And no, crunch, 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 crunch. I said, maybe you haven't. Maybe you really haven't. Because, see, forgiveness is an act of grace, right? In our flesh, we don't forgive anybody for anything. We want the eye. We want the tooth. So we ask God for the grace to come. He asked God for the grace to come 
And he said, wow, I really feel like I've released it. He prayed by himself a minute. I just waited. We prayed again. Nothing. No crunch, no crackle, no anything. God healed his shoulder. There was another lady that we prayed for. God healed her of carpal tunnel and stuff just by his grace. And she came for prayer because her knee was messed up. And there was, we couldn't pray enough to get that lady's knee healed. Started asking some questions. Turns out she had bitterness towards her daughter. I mean, deep, deep bitterness. And we told her, it's like, man, if you will release that bitterness, I don't promise you. I mean, I don't know that every healing is blocked by that. I don't promise you that your knee will get healed, but I promise you the chances are going to dramatically increase. She refused. She said, I'd rather have my knee fall off than forgive my daughter. Seriously. I mean, she was in terrible pain. Never got healed. So it's in our best interest. Just be selfish. Just for yourself, forgive somebody. I I was talking to Pastor Jim at the Freedom Center, or of the Freedom Center. I was actually at the Freedom Center about this the other day. And he said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison yourself and expecting somebody else to die. Because when I don't forgive somebody, they they don't feel a thing. But I'm tormented because I'm, out of, I'm disobedient. I'm out of God's grace in that area of my life. It's like I'm going to drink this poison and watch you die. But nothing happens to you, but it eats me alive. For our own selfish reasons, it's important that we forgive. If you're me, this reason works good. Scripture commands it. I say to myself all the time, I confess Jesus as Lord, and I know what that means. I know that that means that I'm submitted in my will to his will. Now, again, I'm not always perfect at it. Sometimes I feel, but that's where grace comes in. When it's my desire to be submitted to the Lord, but sometimes in my flesh I feel, God makes grace for that, right? Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, Peter thinks he's like, man, you know, I'm giving this guy seven, I'm throwing him a bone seven times for forgiveness. Jesus says, well, nice start there, Peter. He said, I don't say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. I mean, if I got to, somebody do the math, 490, is that right? If I got to forgive somebody 490 times, before we get to 400, I'm finding a way out of that guy's life, right? I'm never going to get to the place where I got to forgive somebody 490 times. I'm moving out of the state. Something's happening. So what Jesus is saying, you never stop forgiving. And then in Luke chapter 17, Jesus says, be on guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Now, this one I thought was cute because if you continue to read, and it says the apostles, not the disciples. So this is like the 12 that are closest to Jesus. They're talking about forgiveness, right? They ask this question and Jesus says, if that guy comes to you seven times and sins against you, and says, I repent, forgive him. Well, guess what? If he came seven times, he never repented. Right? Because when you repent, you don't do it anymore. Seven times. So he didn't even really have to repent. Seven times in the same day, he poked you in the eye. Ow! I forgive me, I repent. Okay, ow again. I forgive you, ow again. You know what the very next thing the apostles say to Jesus is? Increase our faith. <laughs> <laughs> How in, the, how in the world, Lord, am I going to forgive somebody who really doesn't understand repentance very well seven times in a day? I think I need more faith. That's what we all need. It's more faith, right? Because forgiveness is an act of grace. Okay. Now, here's the one where I had you a little bit. 
but I, but I think I'm right on this one. So, so take this one with a grain of salt. If you disagree with me, I'd love to sit down and talk to you about it. I'm going to preach on this as soon as I feel good about it because it's these scriptures and it's some other scriptures that I want to speak to. But I think your eternity, I think my eternity depends on it. I think when Jesus says, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven, I think he means it. I think when, when the Father, when he says, my Father is going to do this to you, he means it. And all of the grace and all of the love and all those kind of things, he is graceful. His mercies are new every single day. But he says, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. And he doesn't make it conditional. That's just how it is. Matthew six fourteen and 15. Well, that's the one we just read, right? If you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Matthew 5, 7. Now, I'm going to make a connection between mercy and forgiveness. If you look in the dictionary... You always will, well, always, I didn't look in every dictionary, but you will find in the definition of mercy, forgiveness. But you don't always find in the definition of forgiveness, mercy. So I I really think that forgiveness is actually a function of mercy. But in Jesus, in some of the scriptures I've read, he uses the words interchangeably. He says forgive and he says mercy. He says mercy and he says forgive. Well, Matthew in the Beatitudes 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Who gets mercy? The merciful. You reap what you sow. If you will sow mercy, you will reap mercy. But if you sow judgment, you don't reap mercy. And then James 2.13. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It doesn't feel like it, right? Judgment feels like it wins. If you poked me in the eye, I poked you back. Right? That felt good. You poked me in the eye, I say, I forgive you. That, that doesn't feel that good. Except it is good. And in the spirit, it's big. And it's powerful. You'll see that next. So here's the testimony from the two stories. The first one, remember the homage story? Right? The, male, or the milkman comes and, and you know, locks all these kids in this room and, and murders a bunch of them. Here's, here's the, the Paul Harvey rest of the story. This is the testimony. This is how I know the Amish get it. I don't care that they wear black. I don't care that they drive buggies with horses. I understand why. Because James says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our Lord and Father is to visit widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, I don't know how they do with widows and orphans, but all of this dressing in black, all of this no TV, all of this riding in the buggy is, the, is because they're so concerned of letting the world stain them. And that stain would take away holiness. So I don't know how they get other things, but I know they get that. And I know they get this. On the day of the shooting, on the day of the shooting, he didn't even take a day to collect himself and pray and help me, I need your grace. On the day of the shooting, a grandfather of one of the murdered Amish girls was heard warning some young relatives. Man, if you want to listen to the old guys that get it, listen to the old guys that get it. Was heard warning some young relatives not to hate the killer, saying we must not think evil of this man. Another Amish father noted, He had a mother and a wife and a soul, and now he's standing before a just God. The guy's name was Roberts, the murderer. A Roberts family spokesman said an Amish neighbor comforted the Roberts family hours after the shooting and extended forgiveness to them. Amish community members visited and comforted Roberts' widow, parents, and parents-in-law. One Amish man held Roberts' sobbing father in his arms, reportedly for as long as an hour to comfort him. 
The Amish also set up a charitable fund for the family of the shooter. About 30 members of the Amish community attended Robert's funeral, and Marie Roberts, the widow of the killer, was one of the few outsiders invited to the funeral of one of the victims. Oh my gosh. Marie Roberts wrote an open letter to her Amish neighbors thanking them for their forgiveness, grace, and mercy. She wrote, Your love for our family has helped to provide the healing we so desperately need. Gifts you've given have touched our hearts in a way no words can describe. Your compassion has reached beyond our family, beyond our community, and is changing our world. And for this we sincerely thank you. If you don't think there's power in mercy. So the elderly South African, the little frail South African lady, now the woman, she's in court, now the woman stands in the courtroom and listens to the confessions offered by Mr. Vanderbrock, a member of South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission, turns to her and asks, so what do you want? She hears the man's confession. They ask her, okay, what do you want? Here's her response. How should just, or here's the, continues the question, I'm sorry. How should justice be done to this man who has so brutally destroyed your family? Here's her response. I want three things, begins the old woman, calmly but confidently. I want first to be taken to the place where my husband's body was burned so that I can gather up the dust and give his remains a decent burial. She pauses and continues. My husband and son were my only family. I want secondly, therefore, for Mr. Vanderbrock to become my son. I would like for him to come twice a month to the ghetto and spend a day with me so that I can pour out on him whatever love I still have remaining within me. And finally she says, I want a third thing. I would like Mr. Vanderbrook to know that I offer him my forgiveness because Jesus Christ died to forgive. This was also the wish of my husband and so I would kindly ask someone to come to my side and lead me across the courtroom so that I can take Mr. Vanderbrook into my arms Embrace him and let him know that he is truly forgiven. As the court assistants came to lead the elderly woman across the room, Mr. Vanderbrook, overwhelmed by what he had just heard, faints. And as he does, those in the courtroom, friends, family, neighbors, all victims of decades of oppression and injustice, begin to sing softly, but assuredly, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I didn't mention this earlier, but the the husband's last words as they were setting him on fire was, Father, forgive them. Romans 12, 19 and 20 says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. See, God keeps vengeance for himself. Not because vengeance is so much fun that God doesn't want to share the pleasure with his people, you know, so that you can have a little vengeance fun. I believe that he keeps vengeance for himself in the hopes that vengeance will never have to be passed out. That because of what that lady in South Africa did, that man might receive Jesus and he might never have to know the vengeance for his sins because they're already paid for. How sad that Jesus would have paid such a price for the evil that that man did, and then that man would have to pay it again in eternity. Never, 
ever, ever return evil for evil because evil only begets more evil. Only good overcomes evil. Evil thrives where evil lives. If someone pokes your eye and you poke them out, evil, evil. The response is bigger evil. The response is bigger evil. Even if your response isn't bigger, even if yours is just equal evil, evil lives and thrives where evil lives. Forgiveness, mercy, evicts evil. If you poke me in my eye, if you call me a name, if you tell me I'm a no good whatsoever, and I don't respond back in evil, but I forgive you, it's hard for you to hit me again because I haven't given you anything to work with. I say, oh man, I love you. That might be a tough response. I don't know what the right response is. God says we'll have the words when we need them. But the point is, if we respond always good for evil, evil dies. Because good always overcomes evil. Evil only escalates evil. See, the scripture that we read in the Lord's Prayer, part of it said, your kingdom come and your will be done. The Father's kingdom. The Father's will be done. But the kingdom can't be manifest through me or you until it's manifest inside of us. Till we make a decision to follow the Holy Spirit in the hardest times and forgive instead of returning judgment. We can't have the kingdom out until we embrace the kingdom in. John, bring these big ones down. And I don't I don't I don't care. Yeah, you can put that one on. Let's just take a minute. Isaac, can you just play that keyboard a second? I'm done. I just want us to take a minute and pray. Set a fire down in my soul. Let that fire burn up any unforgiveness, any bitterness, any judgment. I'm praying for me and I'm praying for you. I pray that right now each and every one of us would would embrace mercy. We embraced it when it was offered to us for our eternal salvation. We need to embrace it when someone has done us wrong. And I mean, man, people do horrible evil. We just saw it, the thing in the the elementary school. I don't believe anybody does that without the help of a demon, personally. I don't believe that milkman did that on his own. I believe that he opened a door and a demon crawled inside. Those guys in South Africa, there had to be demonic to do such evil. Lord, I thank you for the testimony of those people, for the Amish people, God. I just praise your name for the testimony of the Amish people. And I pray right now, Lord, that while our hearts are tender before the busyness of the day and the busyness of the holiday and the busyness of life and all the cares start to crowd you out of our mind, Lord, right now in the presence of your Holy Spirit, I pray that each and every person, anybody in this room, that's got just the tiniest little drop of bitterness or judgment or unforgiveness towards another person, Lord, that you would show that to us. Quicken it to us, Lord. When I do this, 
in my prayer time, I do this. I ask the Lord, show me, Lord. I don't want any bitterness. I don't want to be hindered by bitterness. I don't want to have any kind of a, a barrier between you and me, God. Show me. And it's, it's weird. It's always the same person. And every time I release them, and either it's my imagination or I didn't release them, every time it's that same name again. So when we're asking, when you're asking, right now that's what you're doing is you're asking the Lord. I mean, if that's the place of your heart, you're saying, Lord, I don't want it. Oh, I didn't read you the scripture about grace and pride. See, let me just stop for one second of the prayer. When, when God tells you to forgive and, and you're the South African lady and you saw your husband burned alive after he was just beat up so bad and you say, God, listen, I'm with you, but I'm not with you here. That's pride. Anytime you put your opinion over God's opinion, it's pride. It's, it's easy to understand pride, but it's still pride. And there's no grace in pride. God resists the proud, but he pours grace on the humble. So if you're at that place where there's a person that he's quickened into your mind, a thought that you heard a name, or someone's face came in front of your mind's eye, and you say, it's just too much, it's just too much. The answer can't be, God, I'm not going to do it. The answer has to be, God, there's no way I could imagine myself doing it. But I know that's your heart. So, Lord, I give this to you. And if you give it to God and you say, I don't know how I could ever forgive that person, but I know that you want me to, then he will open up heaven and grace will come upon you. And in that grace, you can forgive. So, Father, I ask for grace for the hard ones, Lord, for the really tough ones, the really horrible things that have been done to us, Lord. I ask each and every one of us to just not take the position of pride, to take the position of humility, submitting ourselves to you, God, so that your grace will come, so that we can release the judgment. And we know that vengeance is yours. If there's vengeance to be paid, Lord, It'll get taken care of. But I pray for every person that's harmed us that they would come to repentance, that they would come to the true saving knowledge of Jesus so that no vengeance has to be paid but what's already been poured out on Jesus. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your chastening because you love us, God. We thank you for the honor to call you Father. Sow us, Lord, this place. Take us to the place of surrendering our right to judgment before we get to the place where we have to so that we're prepared, that in the moment we won't respond with evil but only with good, with your heart. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The kids are going to share just a minute or two minutes. I mean, I didn't mean that as a clock thing, Therese. Hey, Parker. I thought it was important that the kids come on up here, honey, so people can see your amazing face. Thought it was this was a good uh, message for the kids to hear today. And the only instruction I gave them was to listen. And I want you to draw a picture of what forgiveness looks like. And um, when I asked Parker why it was important to forgive I want you to hear his response 
Because God loves all of us, and we should not hold un- we should not hold the grudge that the other person did. And how many times do we forgive? Seventy times seven. Okay. I just wanted you to see the importance of training up your child in the way they should go. See, in the pureness of heart, they don't have all the baggage. And so as we instruct them as children, by the time they're our age, forgiveness is just a natural thing for them because they know it's the right thing to do. They know it's God's word and God is our father. And anything other than forgiveness is disobedience. Is that right? So I just wanted you to to hear from them. It's just so important for our kids and that we model the same. For the, and you know what? Honestly, they're teaching us. Because of the pureness in their hearts, it helps us to walk out with the baggage that we have and hopefully getting rid of. Thanks, Parker. Anybody else want to share? Oops, sorry, honey. Caleb? This is Caleb. What does forgiveness mean to you? Forgiveness means because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and that must have took a lot because he forgave us then. So we've been forgiven a lot, so we need to forgive a lot too, right? Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else? Adriana, do you want to? You don't have to. This is Adriana. To me, forgiveness means that Jesus died on the cross and that we will forgive others because he forgave us for everything that we did. Have you ever needed forgiveness? Yeah? Okay. Thank you. Anybody else? No? Okay. Thanks, guys.